The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Welcome to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Today, we are speaking with C. Lucas, the Cornell Wellness Community Programming Specialist at Cornell University. We will talk with C. about their professional journey, as well as how the fitness and wellness industry have evolved over time, especially in the employment setting. My name is Erin Sambuches. My name is Toral Patel. And you are listening to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Welcome, C, to our podcast. Erin and I are so excited to have you here. And so as we get started, can you introduce yourself, what pronouns you use, and the role that you have here at Cornell? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. And so I'm C. Lucas, they, them pronouns, and I am with Cornell Wellness, and I am the Wellness Community Programming Specialist. Excellent, C. Great to have you. How long have you been at Cornell? Yeah, so I was actually hired like two weeks before the pandemic started. Wow. Yeah, we were doing like tours of campus, you know, here's this fitness center, here's Mm -hmm. that fitness Uh center. And then they were like, here's your laptop. Go go home. (laughs) (laughs) So it was it was certainly an experience um, for sure. And so that was a part time position. And so I've been in my current position, a full time position since about June. So a few years, but mostly part time and now full time. Uh, a couple months. Wow, what a transition <laughs> to start a brand new job. And you were new to the area too, weren't you at that point? I was, yeah. I moved here uh, the fall of 2019. Okay. So um, I had a few a few months before the pandemic kind of shut things down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just new to the area and then boom, here we are. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. New to like Northeast winter or is that something you were familiar with? Well, new to the Northeast, I have lived in multiple Midwestern places. So I like winter. I'm used to winter. um, but Different type of winter. Yeah, different type of winter and never been on this side of the, uh, I was going to say Mississippi, but that's not true. (laughs) So... Yeah, excellent. And how long have you been working in this field? Like, could you just sort of give us some insights as to what your educational or career path has been like that's brought you to Cornell? Yeah, absolutely. So I... It's It's been a long and winding road, as I feel like many of us it has been. Um, so I started as an undergrad in actually environmental science. Um, oh. And then for a multitude of reasons, just didn't really work out. I kind of had a little bit of culture shock. It was in um, an agricultural department in the school. And so I, as a sort of city kid, I was like, I don't know who these like farm kids are. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, and so then I was like, well, what <laughs> what do I do? What do I like? And I had played uh, sports for a long time. I was always been interested in things with and around the body. And so I was a double major then. I finished <laughs> as a double major in uh, behavioral neuroscience, which is a fancy way of saying a couple more <laughs> neurology classes than just like regular psychology. Okay. And then in um, what they called movement and human uh, sports science. And so basically kinesiology, how does the body move, things like that. Um, and so then I was like, well, <laughs> what do I do with this? Yeah. Uh, and so, of course, grad school was the answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I have a, a master's degree in basically that same thing. And then I was in a Ph.D. program after that. And so I pretty much did school straight through, but had always had like part time jobs here and there 
one, so that I could afford <laughs> to live places. Yeah. And then two, because things have always been interesting to me. Um, and so when I was at Iowa, which is where I did my PhD program, I um, became a personal trainer and got a job, a couple jobs. <laughs> one of them was at the university working with like whoever wanted to have a personal trainer could come get one. Um, but most of the other trainers really wanted to work with students and they wanted to work with athletes. And so like kind of by default, I got all of the quote unquote old people uh-huh. as <laughs> as my fellow <laughs> trainers would call them. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and so it, it turns out like I like working with adults and older adults. Mm. And so that led me then to working as a water fitness instructor, which was amazing. And I think that was one of my like really defining moments of like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And so that was that was a big one for me. It was like, oh, like this water fitness, like these aquasize people, like these are my people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and so I really, really appreciated that. And that was sort of like a launching pad to then being like, okay, how do I learn more about fitness for older adults? Mm. What you know, how do I learn more about building community in fitness spaces? That's awesome. So see, I'm really excited to kind of hear about your background and learn a little bit about your current position. If you could tell us, what does that really entail in terms of the day-to-day responsibilities? Yeah. So (laughs) what do I do? That is the question. (laughs) Um, I do a lot of one-on-one, like we call them consultations, Mm -hmm. because it's not exactly personal training, but it's if you are sort of like, I'm interested in fitness, but I'm not really sure what to do. You know, we can have an initial conversation. And then if that involves like, oh, I want to go to the fitness center, I can go with you and we'll tour the building and we'll sort of go through like, here's where to get a locker, right? Here's where this hallway takes you down to the fitness center, right? Like, I think that's one big barrier for people is like, I don't even know where to go. Like, I don't know where to start. Um, And so that's definitely one thing that's a big part of my job is making those things more accessible Mm -hmm. um, and approachable, right? So like, oh, okay, so now I know where to go. I know how to do it. Um, And so then from there, right, we can then kind of decide, do we want to have follow-up meetings? Do you want me to go with you a few times and then kind of go on your own? And so that's one big piece is those individual consultations. And those are open to anybody, any employee at the university. Employees, spouses, retirees also can have those consultations. And then the other pieces of my job is kind of kind of fun because this is a, a new position that was created. Um, and so kind of figuring out like what what should this job be? And you know, we're, let's try some things and we'll see if it <laughs> see if it's going to work out because we're really trying to figure out ways to engage with people who maybe don't want to go to the fitness center, right? Like there's lots of other ways to participate in wellness and fitness activities that aren't going to the fitness center. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I am sort of the organizer for, we call them wellness chats. Um, And so it's, you know, pick a, we'll kind of pick like a, even maybe a seasonal topic or or something that we've been hearing from people they're kind of interested in. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we'll have a, a 30 minute conversation with people on our staff and, and a sort of participatory conversation with other people who are are there at the at the session, and so I am sort of the organizer for those. I also am the organizer for what we call like our our large scale sort of experiences, right? So this is going to be community wide, a couple weeks long. Coming up in the fall, ours is going to be on this concept called habit stacking, right? So if you're sort of like I wanna <laughs> I wanna start this new habit, but I don't I'm not sure how to do it, right? I'm not sure how to like create a routine. And so, you know, it's going to be you sign up for it and it's going to be four weeks long. And each week, you know, we we kind of go through a different piece of it. And so really just trying to engage with people 
in ways that are maybe outside of what people tend to think of as like, quote unquote, fitness. I really like that. See, um, when you were talking, even every piece of what you just described, the consultations, you know, doing things outside the fitness center, which is appealing to me because I think that sometimes the quote unquote fitness industry, or even the wellness and well being industry, to me anyway, has sometimes felt like it's been geared towards a certain type of person, right? Like maybe, it's, you know, somebody who's already pretty fit <laughs> and in shape, right? And they just want to keep that, you know, that great body, <laughs> you know, and, and then keep in shape. Also feels like sometimes it's geared more towards people who have money, <laughs> you know, money to be able to buy expensive memberships or buy all the equipment to have at home and that sort of thing. And so it can sort of feel to some people like it's not really for me. And and I know I have personally had that feeling before, you know, that for a variety of reasons. When I've tried to go to a gym to work out, I just never felt like I fit in. It just felt like people were all watching me. I didn't really belong there. I appreciate this idea of expanding what this is because maybe that could be more appealing to people who don't see themselves. And Is that something you've ever experienced where it hasn't really felt like this industry is really for you? Yeah, so I think it's... It's one of those things, right? Like the industry, it, it certainly is an industry, right? Like it's it's there to sell you something. It's there to capitalize on, you know, like your guilt and the ways that you feel about your body and, and all of those things, right? They're like, they're literally trying to turn that into a capitalist endeavor, right? And so I think that's one of the things that's hard, one, just to engage with, right? Like we've been told all of these narratives, right? About like what fitness is and then who belongs there and, you know, like how it should look and how you should look, you know, and it's, I think it's things that exist in our culture sometimes without even someone telling you directly. Like, I mean, sometimes they'll just tell you directly, like, this isn't for you. But a lot of times it comes as these like unwritten kinds of rules, right? You know, and like these ways of like making the space for a particular person Mm -hmm. through these I was going to say subtle, but they're they're sometimes not even subtle. They're yeah. just like unofficial, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you know, and so myself, I'm in an interesting position because I have always been a sort of sporty person. Um, I like I like doing physical things. I've played like almost every sport <laughs> that there has yeah. has been, and I like inventing games and things like that. And so, I myself have always felt comfortable in gym spaces and mm-hmm. in fitness spaces. But I think it's also because that is something that I sort of enjoy and has been a lifelong process for myself. Um, I'm trans and I have always sort of been kind of gender fluid, gender expansive, mm-hmm. um, but outwardly, right? Like as an adult, people I think have trouble reading me sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, where do you go? Where do you fit? Right. So like, mm-hmm. I think it made sense to people who used to sort of read me as like a strong girl, Right. Like, uh-huh. okay, that makes sense. Right. Like your sporty spice. We can, we can understand that. Right? <laughs> but as you know, I took testosterone and, and have, you know, we're always in the process of becoming, but as I sort of feel like inhabiting this kind of middle space, which is what I feel like, right. Uh-huh. Um, you know, then you get into these places where like gym spaces are often like gendered, right. Uh-huh. Like literally gendered, like locker rooms, And then also like sort of unofficially gendered within the fitness space itself, like this is where the men lift, right? And like women should go over there, you know? Um, And so like that's one of those things that a lot of times 
no one tells you that, right? But you can certainly pick up on that, right? And there's a lot of people who tell me, I don't want to go to that fitness center because like, I know that's where like the real weightlifters are. I was like, well, I mean, I hear that, right? Like that's a definite concern and, you know, like that's a real thing of like how that manifests itself in the space, Mm -hmm. right? And also like (laughs) it doesn't have to be that way, right? Like we can do things uh, to change the way that the space feels. But I think a lot of times the sort of onus and the responsibility gets placed on individual people. Like, well, you just have to like learn how to be in the space instead of like, well, maybe we should change the space so that it doesn't feel unwelcoming, so that people feel like this is a space that they can be in, that they can imagine themselves in. And so I think that's definitely something that like I have felt shift as it's, I don't even think it's like the way that I look. I feel like I look <laughs> pretty, pretty much the same throughout my life, but there has definitely been shifts in the ways that people perceive me. And so that has been, you know, interesting just to kind of watch happen. See, there's like so many things you just said that I want to pick apart, <laughs> I know, right? So much. Uh, and I um, mean, there's there's like certain like personal reflections as you were talking, things that just came to my mind um, as well. And and so, you know, one of the things that really comes to my mind is so for me, my view of fitness has changed kind of like throughout my life. And I know Aaron mentioned this earlier that we are programmed to believe whether it's on television, movies, magazines, to like look a certain way. And, you know, not realizing that like probably 99% of what we're seeing has been edited to fit a certain mold. And so, uh, you know, like throughout my life, I've always looked at fitness as a way to kind of get to that ideal. Um, And then I think like over the last like two or three years, like having had some health scares, my view of fitness has changed. But it took something drastic to happen in my life to change that view, you know, in order to now say, oh, I should exercise not because I'm going to look like that, but it's so that I my heart can be healthy. Um, right. So that I can physically be healthy when I'm when I'm much older in life. And so even now, knowing that that's the reason why I will work out or go take a walk or whatever it is, it's still sometimes in the back of my mind to say, oh, because I'm also all want to look like this or look like that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and as as I've discussed with the audience before, I'm 4'11". I will never look like that. I will never meet that ideal. So I would actually love to get your take on kind of how your view of fitness has changed, whether all of the different experiences in your career, you know, as you said, your majors have changed and as, as you progress through your career, but also through your personal journey. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think you you nailed it, right? That's like that's exactly it, right? Like it's we get all of this cultural messaging, mm-hmm. right, that says one just about bodies, right? Like yeah. this is the ideal body, right? And this is you should want to achieve that body, right? And so it's all about connects on like your things that you desire and the ways that you feel about yourself and and all of those things, right? And it's it's often like a white, tall, thin person, yes. <laughs> right? Um, you know, and so even the people, as you said, like even the people who do look like that, don't actually look like that. Right. You know, right. Like, <laughs> they've been edited they've to been, look like they've that. They've been edited, right? Or, <laughs> or if we're thinking about like the way that their fitness works, right? Like one of the things that I used to really like reading but not like reading was like about the ways that some celebrities will like prepare for mm-hmm. movie parts, right? And it's like yeah. eight weeks of just like eight hours a day of yeah. working out, right, to achieve – this body that is going to get touched up in editing for like, you know, the the two-week filming process, Uh right? So even those ideal bodies are only in that that sort of place for like a minuscule moment of time. Right. And on top of that, they've been edited, right? And so I'm going to think about like the ways that then fitness sells that imagery, right? The reason you should work out is to 
lose weight and look like this and all that, right? And whether that's through like pictures, right? So like what pictures do you choose for your advertisement, right? What's the terms that you use in your advertisement, right? The ways that that then affects how we, we feel and sort of relate to and exist in our bodies. My body is something that I should buy enough stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Whether it's fitness equipment or it's whatever the latest supplement is or the right kind of clothes, right? And then also it, my body is this thing that like I'm doing something to rather than like experiencing and, and kind of living in, you know, and it, is this just this way of thinking about your body as this thing <laughs> rather than as you yourself, myself, you know? And so I think like for me, Having played different sports, and the thing that I realized when playing sports was like, what I really like was practice. <laughs> I didn't, I don't, I'm not really a competitive person, right? And like, I'll even, as we're like playing games, I'll, I'll find ways of turning the competitiveness like on itself. Mm. Um, and so the thing that I really liked was like learning the skill. And, um, and so like, as I've been working out and thinking about, okay, well, what are ways that like I want to work out? You know, and that's not to say that these messages don't also get to me, right? And this is one of those things like, well, you know, like what what do I lift for and why do I lift? Um, you know, there was a time in my life where I was lifting pretty heavy and really kind of striving for like, I want to bench press this much and I want to deadlift this much. And part of that is like this competitive nature of weightlifting right mm-hmm. like you know someone you tell you tell someone oh i went to the gym well, how much did you lift yeah. right? what's yeah. what's your pr I'm like well i mean why <laughs> why does that matter why is that like the first thing you want to know right um you know and so like i think those are definitely things that i have experienced and have kind of worked with and against and and thought about um and i've i ran marathons and triathlons for a while right and so like the ways that my body looked then is different from the ways that my body looked when I was doing like more heavy weightlifting. Um, and so for me, I think that's kind of the interesting thing is just to kind of be like, okay, well, let's, let's do this for a while and like see what that's like. Um, but it's definitely, definitely something I had to like learn how to pay attention to mm-hmm. um, because, you know, it's growing up as like a sport person, you know, it's all about success, right? And like winning, of course, is, is what mm. success is. You know, and so that was one thing like I had to really unlearn was like, well, what what does it mean to do sports? Right. And that's when I was like, oh, okay, I actually like practice a lot more than I like this game. And so it's kind of like the saying is the journey, not the destination. That's what you're making me think of when you say that you like to practice more than, you know, the actual game. The way I'm hearing you see describe it is that you're describing it as rather than having your focus on the body that you want to be. You're kind of focusing on the here and now. How is my body responding <laughs> to what I'm doing? How does my body feel when I do this type of exercise or I do that type of sport? And you're kind of just listening to the, to your body during the process rather than trying to force it to, you know, conform to something. Kind of interesting. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. You know, and I, I a lot of times when people come to our consultations, right, they, they will be like, I want to lose weight, right, which totally great. Like, I'm glad that that is a thing that you're, you're thinking about and you're interested in. And also when you like talk to them for, you know, half an hour, it turns out, well, the thing is really, I want to feel better when I'm moving around, right? Like I want to be able to pick up my grandkids. I want to be able to, you know, like not be out of breath when I, when I walk up the stairs. Um, I feel like the message is always lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. But the thing is often something else. And so, you know, it's, it is, I think, about that sort of process. And when I'm working with people, 
<laughs> they, they will often laugh at me. They're like, why do you always ask me how it feels? And yeah. like, well, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? It's like, uh-huh. you know, we want to make sure that you're in, one, a, a position that's safe. So well, I want you to be able to feel that position as you're doing the exercise. Right. But also, you know, if we can tap into like, my muscles, you know, they feel like this when I'm when I'm moving them. Um, you know, that can be something that is useful for people who maybe have relationships with their bodies that, you know, is like painful. You know, I've I've worked with a few different trans people who are like, you know, I I don't feel good about my body, right? Like I do want to change my body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so like kind of negotiating what does that mean in like an exercise setting when it's like it is this very embodied thing that we're yeah. doing. You know, and so like for some people, it's getting in tune with muscles, right? And other people, it's actually like, well, I do actually like have a body that I'm aiming for, right? And a body that I feel like mine should be more like, um, you know, and so thinking through like, okay, how do we work with that? How do we create a relationship with yourself, with the exercises mm-hmm. that is not harmful, right? I like how, see, you mentioned that uh, those are the kinds of opportunities that you look for when you speak with people. It's the different, allowing them to connect with fitness in, in multiple different ways. And so I would love to just kind of go back to your current role and explore a little bit more about how you make you know fitness more accessible and more inclusive for individuals. What other types of things do you do? I mean, I think one of the things is, so I am a part of a group called the Body Positive Fitness Alliance. And it's a group of trainers who are working towards changing the ways that, like, one, we train people, right? And trying to change some of the messaging in fitness in general. Um, And then also for people who have a physical working space, right? Is your space actually accessible, right? Like, is it literally accessible? Can different sizes of wheelchairs get through the door? How do your doors work? How is your space set up? Um... You know, what kinds of bathrooms do you have? Do you have like changing spaces? What are the expectations for people when they're coming into your space? And how can you best set that up to remove barriers, right? Like it's it's all about removing barriers for people because it's, it's hard enough, right? Like we're asking people to be really, really, really vulnerable in these spaces. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we don't even realize that we're asking them to do that. Um, and so that's one of the things for me is to like recognize that and really honor the fact that this is a hard thing for a lot of people, yeah. um, you know, and the, the more that we can <laughs> make it easier mm-hmm. and approachable, then that's going to create, like you said earlier, Toro, right? Like these long-term beneficial relationships with the space and with exercise and uh, with movement. And so one of the things that I definitely have been paying attention to is the ways that I relate to people and the ways that like I teach people movements. And so in the training to be a trainer, right? Like all of the classes and things that you take, right? It's almost always like a top-down teaching style. You learn and then you're taught to teach like from the ideal. And then you like make concessions for people who can't do that, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And yeah. so then when people are taking your class or, you know, they're trying to learn this new skill that's like already scary and they already feel like yeah. they don't know what they're doing. And now you're like, well, you're really bad at this. So like, let's change it. So you like, follow <laughs> this person over here who is modifying everything. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, and so like, that's one thing I did was I, I, f- I learned how to like flip that and I'm still working on like how to do that. Right. Start with like, here's the very base. Right. So like, how are we feeling safe in the space? 
are there things we need to move out of the way, right? Like, okay, I want this person to do a squat, but what does that mean? Maybe that means they use a chair. Maybe that means they hold on to, uh, you know, like a post or something like that. Uh Like one, how do we make sure that someone feels safe and then feels successful doing the movement? And then, you know, from there, we'll kind of build up, right? Like, okay, awesome. You did that really well. Like, do you want to try something else, right? And then build a new thing on top of that in a way that's not laden with these like value judgments, right? right? Like, like this is a progression and this is a modification, right? Well, no, they're all just different versions of doing it, right? What do you want to get out of it, right? Like, do you want it to be like really, really intense? Great. Let's try this. Do you want it to be a little bit more gentle and you want to, you know, like, let's work on just a piece of the range of motion. That's definitely one thing that I have kind of been working on. So when I'm like building classes and things like that, it's like, okay, how can I make sure that there's like multiple levels that people can engage with and build it in a way that everyone feels good about the movement? It's hard sometimes, right? Because you kind of never know where people are coming from and kind of what that looks like for them and how they're feeling about it. Um, but And I've got to say that yeah. it's got to be harder with a group versus an individual. Like I can see how that's possible to do at an individual level, one-on-one, but how do you do this with, when you have a large group setting? Make sure that everybody feels welcome in that space and that they can kind of do what they need to at their individual level. That's got to be much harder. It definitely is. Part of, I think, what happens for me is that, like, I get to reflect on, well, like, what <laughs> what do we want this class to be, mm-hmm. right? Like, is it just come in, go, nobody talks, we're just going to, like, do the thing? Like, I mean, that's a way that you could run a class, right? Or how do we want the space to exist? Things like having check-ins <laughs> at the beginning of the class. Like, how is everybody feeling today, right? What kind of a class do we want today, right? And so, like, giving up some of that, quote-unquote, expertise and turning it more into you know, a slightly more democratic space where, okay, like, let's figure out together what, what we want out of this class today. Yeah, I, I love that because I love the fact that we're all experts in our own experiences, right? And what we might be experiencing that moment. Um, and I also like the idea of really sometimes showing up is like the hardest step that somebody's taken yes. that day, right? Yes. And and that might be all I've got for you <laughs> today, yeah. that I am here, I am in this space, um, and I don't know that I've got much uh, much more to give today. And just getting out the door and getting there, it takes everything I've got sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Many years ago, I went to, uh, I guess, an aerobics class. I'm saying I guess. Like, I don't even know what the heck it was. But, uh, and I only did it because my friend was teaching it. And she's like, I really want, I want you to see me teach. I'm like, all right. So I went, and, you know, half the stuff she was modeling, I didn't understand. I just couldn't, you know, there's something about when somebody's standing in front of me and you have to mirror the movements that I just can't do. So I spent 50% of the time just doing my own thing in the back of the room, like whatever. And I said to her later, I was like, I'm sorry, you know, I don't think it was you, it was me. She's like, I could care less. She goes, what I liked about you is you just kept moving. Yes. It didn't have to be what I was doing. I, she goes, I get so annoyed when I look out and people just stop and they don't move at all and they don't do anything like it's all on me you know but she's like you just kept moving to your own groove I'm like yeah that's what I do and I think so much of what you were describing too see I I like your emphasis on your your role is to help ensure that people feel safe yeah 
And the way I also heard what you were talking about is it's not just even physical safety, but psychological safety. Yep. You know, and, and you make such a good point that I agree gets overlooked. It takes a lot of vulnerability to even show up in those spaces, you know, because you, you know, you probably are trying to do something that feels uncomfortable, that you're not sure how. And so the fact that you're trying to create that sense of physical and psychological safety, I think is really key, you know. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's exactly the thing, right? Is like, I think it's about flipping the script, right? So it's not that your body is wrong for the machine, right? It's that the machine isn't built for you. And so I think that's one of the things that (laughs) I try to talk to people with is like, there's a million exercises we could do. Here's what we're trying to do. And we're going to see what piece of equipment is going to work best to do that thing, right? I was working with someone who uses a wheelchair sometimes. And like when she's using the wheelchair, she can use some equipment. And when she's not using the wheelchair, she can use other equipment because it literally just doesn't fit, right? You know, and so thinking about how do we teach people to use the space in ways that are best fit for them? And it's like, okay, we need to bring the floor up to you or we need to forget the floor. Maybe we'll just stay standing, Um, you know, and so I think being able to do that in ways that doesn't place shame and like feeling bad about yourself, right? Because it's not you, right? Like it's, it's that the space is built for this imaginary person who like, you know, doesn't actually exist. You know, so, you know, we all work at Cornell. You work at Cornell, you describe some really interesting ways. And I myself have actually started to engage in some of the Zoom online group fitness classes because that's a great example of something where I could keep my camera off. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about how I look in front of other people and, you know, whether I'm, quote, doing it right or not. But, you know, I have definitely seen how Cornell as an employer has really sort of emphasized and prioritized, maybe is a better word, providing these opportunities for employees. And that seems to be something that we have seen over the years, that there's been a shift that more and more employers carving out a role of supporting wellness of their employees and, and trying to provide those avenues for people to be able to utilize wellness um, supports and activities and whatnot. And so I'm wondering, you know, what your thoughts are about that. You know, it's not like when I was a kid where it's like you go to the gym, it's somewhere else you want to work out or that sort of thing. Now you can do that. A lot of places you can do that where you work. I was just wondering what your thoughts are around should employers be doing that? Is that their role to be promoting that, those avenues for employees? Yeah, I think that's a a really wonderful question. And we're going to take a little historical detour. <laughs> so, <Okay. Yeah. laughs> and so this is like a long-standing question of, you know, what, what is the role of an employer in the life of their workers? Right. Um, and so one of the things that I learned about was the, like, during the industrial era, right, and the ways that physical activity was being promoted, like, at that moment in time. And so it sort of turns out that in this moment in, like, the 1800s, right, so we have, like, immigration, we have formerly enslaved people moving to new places, right? And we get this like mixing of lots of people in cities where, you know, now there's like factory work, right? And so like you go to the factory for like 14, 15 hours a day, right? And so we have this upheaval of society. And we also have these different social movements where we're trying to like promote hygiene, right? Because we want to stop like typhoid and things like that, right? And so some of these ideas have physical activity kind of linked to morality and linked to respectability and and being like a a quote-unquote like good citizen. And so we have 
some of the first kind of like employer exercise programs, right, that were designed as a way to quote unquote civilize the workers, right? And so like by having them do group calisthenics, it was thought that that would make them more compliant. It would make them be better workers on the factory floor and like listen to <laughs> like listen to the oh, uh, the factory owners, right? And like not revolt, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and so like you have this this sort of use of exercise in, you know, we might say problematic ways. Yeah. Um, you know, and then at the same time, you have different workers' rights and unions who are really promoting, they called it eight hours for work, eight hours for sleep, and eight hours for what we will. And so like this use of like leisure time as like a rallying cry for workers' rights and shortening the workday, right? So there's this like grappling over exercise and what do I do with my free time and like where can I go to, to kind of move my body? Um, we have that kind of moment. And then as that progresses into like the 1920s, 1930s, you have factories that like sponsor sport teams, right? You know, and so you could, you could play on the, you know, the factory-sponsored baseball team or the factory-sponsored basketball team. Um, and this was actually a way that a lot of women participated in sport, right? So I, I feel like we have this idea that like Title IX changed everything, which isn't necessarily not true, but like women have been participating in physical activity for a really long time and it, it kind of like ebbs and flows and, you know, kind of like cycles through some different things, you know? And so I think, Erin, I think you're right where we have this like post-World War II moment where like factory work is now kind of on the wane and there's more and more like office work. Right. Um, and so I think... Everything that I have read during those moments, we kind of get this separation between like, what is the responsibility of the employer? What should the employees be doing on their own? Um, you know, and so then we kind of have this, I guess it's sort of a lull, a lull right? And so then in 90s, 2000s, right, I think you're, I think you sort of identify this kind of like coming back up of like employers offering these like work site wellness programs. A pessimistic take on it would be that part of the reason that they offer these programs is so that they, in the long run, have lower costs in healthcare, right? A lot of times that's the sort of thought process from CEOs and CFOs, right? Is like, okay, we're going to... I would say probably beyond pessimistic. There's probably some a uh, whole bunch of truth to yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. um, the thought is we're going to invest in this program, right? We're going to put some money towards this so that you know, people participate and their healthcare costs are going to go down, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so that's definitely a thing that I have seen, right? So I have, at one point in my life, I did work site, like health screenings, right? So I take your blood pressure, do one of those little like finger stick cholesterol checks. And it was like tied to their health insurance, right? Like if they did quote unquote bad on this health screening, their health insurance costs went up. Oh, wow. You know, and I was like, oh, wow, like this is <laughs> this is not something I want to participate in, right. <laughs> um, you know, and like I didn't know that going in. Right. It was only in like talking to people. Some people were like really resistant to like our being there. And I was like, what's going on with this? You know, don't you want to know about your cholesterol? <laughs> right. And very naively, like thinking like, oh, what we're doing is a good thing. And it turns out, well, it's actually part of this more nefarious project within that particular company. Mm. Um, you know, so I think there's definitely that is happening. Right. Like and so. We can acknowledge that, right? That's a thing. 
And also, I do think some employers like do actually care about their <laughs> their <Yeah>. employees, <laughs> right? And like do want to provide what we'd say now is sort of like work life balance yeah. kinds of things, and and giving employees ways to engage socially, and you know, it's like all of the pieces of wellness, right? Like physical wellness, emotional wellness, social, you know, social and relationships, um, you know. And so I think not just because like I work in a <laughs> in Cornell Wellness, but like I do think that is something that is beneficial, right? If what we're doing here is actually trying to create communities and, you know, like let's face it, people do spend a lot of time at work, right? Yeah. And so like if we can make that a place that benefits them, right, and, and doesn't harm them and provides things that are useful for them, then I think that's what we <laughs> I think that's what we should do. Um, you know, and so Part of the reason that I applied to Cornell was because I really like working in university settings. Like I think universities are these fascinating places that have like so many pieces, right? Like so much goes into keeping a university running. Yeah. And coming with that is like people have all kinds of, of different needs. And so I think part of what we can do is like, okay, figuring out like, well, what are those different needs? And like how can employers actually be responsible to their employees, right? And and not just taking their labor from them, but like it's an exchange, right? So like how how can employers actually provide things that are beneficial to their employees as well? I love the history lesson because I think a lot of what you said is true, right? And so um, in terms of, of how the fitness industry has evolved in the workplace, in our more recent history, the pandemic has had a huge impact on how people and individuals view fitness. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've seen that change? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think one thing that has been exposed by the pandemic is that people aren't just taking it, right? Yeah. Like people want to organize and people, you know, want to ensure that in various aspects of their life, right, they're being treated fairly and, you know, not being discriminated against. And, um, you know, I think that was one sort of marker during the pandemic, right? Especially like in like the workplace, right, is like, well, you know, so like we go remote and it turns out that like for a lot of people of color, like that is actually better for their mental health than like being in an office space where their coworkers are like racist, right? Um, you know, and so thinking about the ways that the results of the pandemic are either what we thought they were going to be or aren't what we thought they were going to be and like trying to figure out what do we want to do with that. I think for me, like every moment is a moment that we can like make change and do something different. But I feel like collectively, the pandemic gave us this moment to be like, okay, how have we been doing these things? Maybe we could do it different. You know, and so like one of the things that I have seen fitness wise, right, is like the, the sort of rise of virtual offerings, right? Whether it's like Peloton bicycles, right? Or fitness classes, right? The I think YMCA had like the Y360, right? So it was like you could, if you were kind of part of that membership plan, like you could get any class from around, you know, like around their library, right? And you could sort of create this community with people in Spain and with, right. you know, people in, in right. all of these different like geographical regions, you know? And so I think for me, I think that's always something that I'm looking towards like building, right? So like, what is that opportunity to have connection, right? Especially if, you know, we are in various modes of remoteness, right? So like, how do we make connections, whether it's social connections? Um, I think fitness can be a place where we can really make those like beneficial connections for people. How can we use this as a way to set new standards? Um, how do we 
make sure that we continue to have like accessible events, whether it's captions, whether it's having interpreters, right? Whether it's creating, you know, like spaces that have different locations in them, you know, you need a break. Great. Here's a space to, you know, like take a break. Um, and so I think that's one thing that has come out of the pandemic, I think, was this attention to how do we do this, right? Like we, we want to continue providing our services, right? Like at Cornell Wellness, we were like really quick to put stuff on Zoom and we're like, we don't know what we're doing, but we're, we're doing it, right? <laughs> you know, and like learning as we were going yeah. and kind of figuring out like, okay, like how do I want to structure this on Zoom? You know, and like, like you said, Aaron, right? I don't have a, I don't have a camera policy. You want to have your camera off? Psst, that's no problem. Like I don't, that's fine with me, you know, not having this pressure to like be you know, visible to yep. other people. That's exactly, and, and I'll be honest, I that's the only reason I re-entered the quote gym, <laughs> you know, because it's a virtual gym. I mean, I literally remember one time going to one of the gyms on campus, obviously pre-pandemic, and stopping at the door, looking in, seeing all the people, and being like, yeah, no, I'm not doing this. And I turned around yeah. and walked away. You know, but on Zoom, yeah, I don't need to worry about it. I don't need yeah. to worry about it. And for whatever reason, that's what I need. You know, I'm sure a therapist would have a field day with dissecting why I need that. It is what it is. That's how I need to work out. That's what I need. So I agree. I mean, I don't I don't think that was done before the pandemic. But since then, you guys have offered all kinds of virtual, um, and, and it's everything. It's meditation, it's yeah. mindfulness. This concept of wellness has expanded beyond just, you know, lifting a set of weights. You know, that you really kind of focus more on that whole body-mind connection and what that means and how one influences the other. I also really liked what you said about the pandemic exposed certain things, exposed certain things about a prior way of living that may or may not have actually been very inclusive or very safe. Right? And it, it really did expose that in a lot of ways. And, and you're absolutely right. Having these types of wellness offerings, as you said, let's not just take from our employees. What can we give back to them? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's the thing is, you know, I think sometimes in spaces, you know, it's like, oh, you're, <laughs> you're being overworked or, you know, like you're in this horrible situation. And like, for whatever reason, like we won't fire your boss. Here's some wellness. Right. And it's, it's often, <laughs> I feel like used as a bandaid, yeah. um, which, uh-huh. you know, is like <laughs> really annoys me. And it's like, let's not, let's not do it that way. Right. Like yeah. let's make this a meaningful part of the way that our workplace sort of exists right and so it's not just like a you know like here's a quick fix like let's just slap the band-aid on it you know and and like actually work towards like well what what are some of the root problems here exactly. right um provide the reactive stuff to help but also look more closely at what we could do i had a really funny conversation with a colleague recently they were um, listening to their partner on a Zoom call, and they were talking about how they really needed to be providing more of a sit-stand desk, you know, where you can elevate it or lower it, and, you know, really emphasizing that the university needs to just make that the standard, give everybody sit-stand desk. And and I know that that's important for ergonomics, you know, for different health reasons. But their reaction was, oh, my God, stop with the sit-stand desk and just tell people it's okay to get up and walk around. Yeah. Take a break. <laughs> 
like, you know, take your meeting and like, well, why do, why is the answer just sits to your desk? And and that was the point. Look at the problem. Instead of just saying, yes, give them a sit-stand desk, let's not encourage that you stay at that desk for eight hours straight and not do anything else. It, it was a good point, and I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. And I think it's kind of finally getting all employers, the pandemic has opened this door. We're finally getting employers to see that we bring our whole selves to work, right? So all the personal stuff comes with us. Yes. We don't just leave that at the door and right. then be like, okay, I'm sitting here for eight hours, to your point, Aaron, yeah. getting my work done, knocking all these things out of the out of my checklist, and then I'm going home, and then I'll worry about my personal stuff, right? right. It doesn't work that way. And the pandemic where our personal and our work were all kind of intertwined, yes. like really kind of brought that to the forefront where it's like we're all all of me is here yeah <laughs> um today and sometimes i might just need to walk around right yeah. and i might need to get up and go do take this meeting over here or or um go take this fitness class um and and the other thing that i think um see that you mentioned that i really liked is this idea that you've been in this space for a while your your career ha- you've dedicated your career to kind of creating this other spaces for people and i phrase that deliberately that you know we're not making the people convert to the space that exists, but creating the space for them in whatever ways they might need that space to be. But the pandemic has kind of allowed everybody to think that way, right? To say, what do I need and how do I make that happen? And, and employers have started thinking about what do our employees need and how do we make that happen, right? You said your colleagues have started to talk about that, right? What, how do we make this happen via Zoom, <laughs> Because that's the only option available for us through this pandemic. So how do we kind of continue the work that we're doing in a different way? And so I kind of like that now we're all starting to think that way. And hopefully that path will continue. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely like that. And I I wanted to follow up on one of the things. I forget who said it, but we were talking about the sort of pressure to like always be productive. Right. And like, I mean, that's that is our culture today. Right. It's like productive. Like you got to have like four side hustles. Right. Like every waking moment (laughs) needs to be like this produce, 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 produce. Right. And it's sort of taking in this moment of like, you know what, like actually, actually we're going to rest, sort of like rest as resistance. And like, we're whole people, right? I go to work for this amount of time. And also like, that doesn't mean that I'm just a machine and just going to, you know, pump out like whatever the work is for that long. Um, I think it sort of comes back to the, like these movements of, you know, whether it's racial justice, workers justice, right? And and really thinking about like, well, what is it going to take to make this place less harmful, right? We we know that these things exist. And so how can we make those changes? And one of the other things that just popped in my head about like fitness and the pandemic was this like, everybody go outside, yeah. right? Like as if like, that's just really easy to do for people. Like as if like, you know, black people aren't targeted outside for merely walking, you know? And so part of what I have seen within the fitness world and like the outdoors space is this real push to like take account of that and you know, sort of like, we know that these industries continue to like reproduce these inequalities. And how can we make change within that, right? And whether it's creating spaces that are specific for, you know, here's a black women's walking group, right? This great group called Girl Trek. They do all these really great, you know, like, you can become like a walk leader in your city. You know, unfortunately, a lot of times it's like people demanding that the industry changes right like there's not unfortunately not a lot of leadership like from from the industry you know there was sort of a moment of like yes yes we hear you and then as the pandemic has sort of come on and now there's this like the pandemic's over and so now let's go back to like the way things were and you know there are groups of people who are kind of pushing back against that it's like well no like 
<laughs> Let's make some of these changes. Yes, I hate the phrase back to normal because normal felt abnormal to a lot of people. You know, depending on what your identities were and to your point, what your life experience was. No, I don't want to go back to that. <laughs> you know, I want us to realize that, as you said, that we've exposed some inequities and injustices and let's start tearing that down and, and rebuilding what we want to see. Well, my goodness, see, thank you so much. That, that's a, I think that's a very profound note to, to leave us on. Um, I really appreciate your time and your insights today. I uh, have had the joy of participating in one of your group fitness classes, and I'm going to put it out there. I was like, oh, yeah, no, this, this person I could get on board with. Yeah. yeah, this person doesn't make me feel like crap. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and then I immediately emailed C, never met them, and said, I really liked your class. Tell me what other ones you're doing. Uh, because, again, you, you made me feel less vulnerable. And you didn't even know you were doing that because I had my camera off. <laughs> but, but I'm telling you, that's how it felt. And so, yeah, we need more people like you so that there could be more people like me who feel like they belong. So thank you for that. Well, Aaron, that was a great conversation we just had with C. It really was. Yeah, it was kind of neat to hear about some of the history evolving around yeah. fitness. And, and really, I actually loved listening about their current role. Uh-huh. Yep, absolutely. I wasn't expecting to get, um, yeah, the history lesson that we got. But that, I think that that was really important to realize because I really didn't know some of that. Right. And it, it, it did make it more interesting to think about how um, the employment industry has shifted, mm-hmm. you know, how they are focusing and why, maybe why they're focusing and, you know, emphasizing wellness and fitness and from both a practical standpoint, but also an employee support standpoint. It was yeah. really interesting. Yeah, it, and it really talks about how things have ha- that happen over time really impact that work. And we know that from our recent history experiences with the pandemic and how that's been impacting all of us. Right. And so that's also going to change in terms of how we've looked at uh, fitness going forward. Yeah, definitely. I also very much appreciated the willingness to share, you know, the experience as a trans individual Mm -hmm. um, and just sort of kind of talking about how that has maybe influenced or intersected, if you will, with how they themselves have experienced the fitness industry and, you know, other people (laughs) around them in that industry. Um, And it helped to, you know, sort of highlight some of the challenges, you know, even even when they talked about how, and it's true, most fitness areas are very gendered, Correct. right? Very gendered in terms of, you to know, this like, day, they like they said, are. the locker rooms, but also the activities sometimes and who's doing the activities and that sort yeah. of thing. And I thought that was a really good point that we need to be more conscious of because right off the bat, that's potentially not only alienating people who don't identify with a particular gender, but also, I think, sort of stereotyping even men and women. You know, what men do, that's what men do, and that's what the women do, and, you know, that sort of thing, which is not very inclusive. And I don't know that we've come very far from that, right? So I because to this day, we're still very gendered in terms of the spaces. There are certain classes that are geared towards women and certain fitness classes geared towards men. That's why I kind of really like C's approach, because the question that they ask is, how can you set up the spaces that remove those barriers, right? And so it's about removing the barriers for the individual and not having the individual adapt to what Whatever that environment is. And I kind of really like that thought yeah. process. I did too, because I think that that does sort of buck against, again, some of the other rhetoric that we talked about in this industry about how you got to pump yourself up and, you know, you got to really put yourself out there and, you know, really produce and 
and, you know, we're aspired to a certain image. It subtly is getting it, bucking against that, too. Right. If, if you're coming at it from that approach of, you know, what can we do differently in the space or in this activity to make it feel appealing to you? Right. You know, tying into that is, it's not implying that we're modifying whatever we're modifying for you, right? Right. Because that's what we're used to. That's you know how many of those fitness classes you have or even the online fitness videos that you watch and it's like, okay, well, here's how we actually do the exercise. But then here's the person on the side that's modifying everything in yeah. case that's what you need, right? Yeah. And so I really like C's approach in that we create that space and the messaging to the individual isn't that we're modifying this for you, no. but this is just how we're doing things moving forward that's so right. that everybody feels included. Yeah, we're modifying the space. We're not Correct. modifying you. Correct. <laughs> you right, know? right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, what I also like about C is, um, you know, again, I grew up in the 80s, right? So, so blame, you know, Bruno appreciate this. Blame Olivia Newton-John and, you know, <laughs> let's get physical, yeah. right, for, for what, you know, my framework is of what you're supposed to look like, people that are, you know, in that position and what you're supposed to ascribe to. And But you got C, who I know our listeners maybe have never seen C, so because C is a very unassuming <laughs> presence, right, very calm, very, you know, nice, low-key demeanor. And it's just, it's almost like... They are quietly doing some incredible culture change, yes. right? They're quietly sort of paving the way for a real systemic shift in how we view these, these industries and how we view our place within them. Yep. C mentioned that their consultations with individuals is one-on-one, yes. all the way up to like actually being there side by side with the individual yeah. until they feel comfortable, yeah. which leads to what you and, and C mentioned multiple times throughout our conversation is the psychological and yes. physical safety, right? And yes. So from from multiple aspects. And so I I, I really appreciated that conversation as well, because I don't think you can ever hone in on that enough. (laughs) You know, again, the the approach that they're describing is not focusing on the body you want to become, but focusing on how you feel within the body that you have, (laughs) you know, and how you are, you know, the relationship you have with your body and how that might change or evolve. And I guess, again, it's a very different way of thinking about it that, that I really appreciated. Yeah. And I think the other the last thing that really stood out to me and C mentioned this, and I know we focused on it very briefly, but the idea that fitness is so much more than the physical. It's the yeah. emotional, it's yes. it's the cultural, it's yeah. you know, it's it's all of those other components that make up what we consider fitness and well being. Mm-hmm. Um and I know like I said, we focus on it very slightly, but I kinda like that they, they made that point too. I completely agree because it is all interconnected and Correct. we often don't think about it, you know, how one is influencing the other in that way. Um, So, yeah, I very much appreciate that. So, great conversation. Yep. Yep. Thank you, Twirl. Thank you, Boot. Yeah, leave our audience with the last thought that fitness, as as C mentioned, is a lifelong process. And we look forward to many other programming that comes from C's office and, and Cornell Wellbeing and Recreation. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a production of the Department of Inclusion and Belonging in collaboration with the Cornell Broadcast Studio. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and submit a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners to find us and the show. For the latest updates on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging at Cornell, be sure to visit diversity.cornell.edu. My name is Erin Sembrachase. And my name is Toral Patel. We would also like to thank our co-producer and sound engineer, Bert Odom-Reed, as always, for making us sound amazing each and every episode.
Thanks, Thanks Bert. Bert.